Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, hey, welcome back and Happy New Year in 2024. So, we're going to look a little bit at Kelvin. We're going to take a uh, we're going to take a uh, walk through Calvin's Garden of Tulips, and that's a little play on words. I'll explain in a bit. One reason that I thought it'd be really really good to talk about Calvin is not because I'm an expert on Calvin. I'll be very honest with you. I'm Baptist background now. Um, there are some historical Baptists that were very Calvinist. Um, however, I'm going to have to say that Congregationalists and Presbyterians and groups of that nature own Calvin, pretty much. Um, within, within some confines, and I'll explain that as well. Um, if you're really going to get into kind of studying the modern interpretation of Calvin, then uh, R.C. Sproul is a very good writer. And uh, pretty much uh, his book on the tenets of the Christian faith, which I have uh, and I've read, is very detailed. Now, Here's why I think it's, you know, I think it's important is to be very honest with you. I don't know that people completely grip Calvin, John Calvin, Jean Calvin. Um, so who is this guy? Who is this guy anyway? Um, well, of the big name reformers, okay, in the Reformation, if, you, if you're a believer, then hopefully you've heard the word Reformation, because basically in the Reformation, people looked at the Catholic Church and looked at how the faith was working, and they said, wow, this really stinks, uh, I don't think this is biblical, and started turning back to the Bible and looking at that. Uh, a lot more seriously, and there were uh, there were many reformers. Okay, and then the Reformation depends on what you're talking about. Is it the Italian, or is it the? Are you looking at the uh, English? Uh, so uh, Reformation hits in various places, various times. But all of them were were saying this: the current system of Catholicism, or belief system we got going right now, really stinks. And we don't like it, and we don't agree with it. And you know what? We're reading in the Bible, and I don't see where they're getting this stuff. And so they're seeing a huge disparity between, you know, a difference between what the Bible says and what was going on. 
and there's like volumes and volumes and volumes of books written on that and by the way there's volumes and volumes and volumes of books written on Calvin that's why I'm not going to say I'm an expert in Calvin because that's not going to happen um, and to be honest with you I'm not sure there are any even if you spend your entire life looking at his information um, a lot of very unique things with Calvin the first thing in and I was mentioning the reformers, okay, so so the top three that, that, that usually float to the surface really fast are Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Zwingli. Now, Calvin is, is fascinating from this perspective. The guy was probably a blooming genius. Um, very slight kind of guy, very thin. But man, was he a blooming workaholic. I mean, he was a workaholic. They, he was doing three sermons during the week and two on Sunday. And uh, basically, they were saying, uh, dude, you're killing yourself. But uh, what's super interesting is that he really wasn't trained, quote-unquote, as a theologian. Now, you got to understand, at that time, um, when you went to university... You studied a lot of church stuff. So it's not like you had to uh, run over to the theology department to study theology. Uh, it was like everywhere. He was really trained as a lawyer. Now, he did work for a bishop, a Catholic bishop, as a clerk. And he had his hair cut where... Uh, to symbolize his dedication to the church, at least that's the the report anyway. Uh, it's called a tonsure, and uh, and it's a little ball spot on the top that, that you know symbolizes your pious. But he never became a priest. He didn't take vows. There's no indication, at least from the sources I'm looking at, that he took any vows of any kind. But he was thoroughly, thoroughly Catholic because you don't get to work for a bishop as a clerk unless you're pretty pretty deep Catholic anyway um, so when he went to, to university and he was studying and he went to several universities um, he had an opportunity at one of the uh, universities to actually learn Koine Greek uh, learning ancient Greek was uh, an academic uh, discipline at that time, and they considered it a pretty handy little situation. And by by cracking, I wish we still did that really hard. But um, we we have situations now where you don't have to learn Greek at all. You, you know, you've got tools and so forth, which is great. However, comma, I will still say that uh, learning Koine Greek and Biblical Hebrew ought to be on everyone's list. Uh, even if you're not good, I mean, you say, oh, I'm not good at languages. Okay, all right. Uh, don't be a translator. Just, just learn what you can learn. Because I guarantee you, it absolutely will not come up empty if you'll do that. Now, Here's the, in, in, here's, here's the thing about Calvin. He wrote a book called The Institutes, okay, which I have gotten into reading. I 
about a third way through, and believe me, that was a long time ago. I need to go back, start over, and get into it again. But I read enough of the Institutes, and there was actually two versions. There was the early version, and then the late version that was really, really thick, where he added a lot of extra information. Not extra topics, necessarily, just a lot more thought processes. And, you know, I don't think we're actually expressing Calvin's thoughts like he would have wanted them expressed. And let me explain. So, in the beginning when I said, you know, hey, let's take a walk through Calvin's garden, his tulip garden, is kind of a play on words because tulip is actually an acronym. And uh, you could actually use it as an acrostic because there are five tenets of Calvinism that we look at okay, today. Um, by the way, I don't know that any of these are specifically... Uh, this isn't something that Calvin thought up. This uh, acronym was thought up to kind of surmise some things, okay? But uh, th th it's T-U-L-I-P, and basically uh, they are. Uh, the T stands for total depravity, which basically is that man is scum of the earth, and there's absolutely no way under any circumstance he can ever stop being scum of the earth. End of story. Um, he wouldn't want to, man in general, and that's men and women in general, wouldn't want to, wouldn't think about it, wouldn't consider it at any point because they're utterly, totally depraved. Now, um, that being the case, you know, they're deceitful and wicked and just bound to uh, basically uh, hell fodder. Uh, they're on a slide straight to hell. Okay. Now, uh, there's unconditional election, is the you. And basically that means that God elects a person based on nothing that the person's done. And when a person is chosen, um, it's, uh, it's based on what God wants. End of story. There's nothing, there's no way you can earn his election, but he chooses you, okay? Now, by the thought process, obviously, if someone is chosen, there are those who are not chosen. And uh, so, there's, there's that, it's kind of like a dodgeball. You know, you have everybody line up, and then you go by and you pick them, and then the captain of the team and the, the second team goes out and picks the people they want, and then there's people who are left. And the people who are left were not chosen. Well, all of those go to hell, pretty much. Um, not in dodgeball, obviously. You may think you're in hell if you get hit hard enough, but I'm just saying. Um... The next one, the L, stands for limited atonement, and essentially that is that, yes, Jesus died 
for our sins, but only for the sins of the people who are elected. Everyone else, no. He just died for the sins of the people who God handpicked, selected. <clears throat> then, the next one, the I, stands for irresistible grace. Irresistible grace basically means this. There is absolutely no way, if you're elected, if God chose you, that you can say no. Um, it's a done deal. Uh, and you were elected, by the way, before you were even born, before you even did anything wrong. Um, you cannot resist it because it is sovereign power basically saying, you're mine, so you don't get to choose, so to speak. Okay. And then the last one, the peace stands for perseverance of the saints, which basically means that if you're elected, since Jesus died for you, you're locked and loaded. You're sealed forever. There's no way under any circumstance you can lose God's salvation. It ain't going to happen. That's the thought process. Now, um, again, this all has to do with election. Okay? Now, why do I even mention all this fun stuff? It's not... It's not... And there's probably some people thinking right now, Oh, no, he's going to go off into this. It's not to analyze this, Joe. Excuse me. This... This... Not... Forgive me. Um, this information. It's not to analyze it. Again, this is theology. This is men extrapolating from the scripture what they believe God's thinking. In fact, this is people extrapolating from Calvin what they think he thought of the scripture based on the Institutes, I guess, and other works. But here's the thing. Um, these five points end up getting really, really into stuff. Um, and they get up in people's business. Now, why do I say that? Well, um, because Calvinism is a... Uh, of Reformation thought. So if you're a Protestant, these thoughts are probably spread in you somewhere and were taught you somehow, some way. Uh, Baptists do that. Now, here's the here's the kicker, all right? Baptists, Southern Baptists specifically, several years ago, actually had a meeting to determine how Calvinist they were. Now, how they do how they determine that? They determine that by these points, these five points. And um, I'll just tell you straight up, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a very huge, literally huge, he was a big guy, but um, in London, Metropolitan Tabernacle, was a five-point Calvinist. He believed all that. And he preaches his little heart out. Um, 
I grew up under a pastor who said he's three and a half point Calvinist. Three and a half point. And when he's saying that, when he's saying, oh, I'm three and a half point Calvinist, what he's talking about is tulip. It's this T-U-L-I-P. All of these points that I just that I just mentioned. That's what he's talking about. Now, so the Southern Baptists had a meeting, and, they, they, and I don't remember what the outcome of that was, but they were basically trying to decide how Calvinists are they. Because Presbyterians are pretty much on board with the whole five points. Um, I'm sure there are exceptions. Uh, so I don't want to broad brush, but the issue is um, they... Uh, there are several denominations that get very defensive about Calvin. Um, why does it matter? Let me let me just make a few observations. Let me make a few observations. The first observation is, I really, really, really don't think this extrapolation does justice to Calvin because I don't know that he's actually thinking in these terms when he wrote the Institutes um, I do believe that there are tenets of each one of these he's touching on but I don't know that each one of them is taught exactly the way if Calvin was was around today that they'd be taught exactly the way he wants he wants them taught. I just don't feel that. Now the other thing is is that we have to realize Calvin wasn't perfect. Um a lot of times we hold reformers up like they're and this is gonna sound tacky, but I'm gonna say it this way. Like they're demigods. Like somehow they've gotten some, you know, this angel came down and just rubbed them on the head, and then boom, um, they became these untouchable holy men. They were flawed like anyone. So they're not perfect. And because they're not perfect, I you have to look at what they're teaching based on the Bible like anyone else. Unfortunately, I don't think that happens a lot with Calvin. I think people swallow Calvin whole. Um, and I do want to say this, in all fairness. If you're going to take every all these five points, don't play around with three and a half and three or two or something. No, 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 no. no. The way I understand this, especially the way it started in the... In the um, in the Institutes, at least as far as the, the ideas that, that I could see forming, you have to take this as a as a uh, as a whole package. This jazz, oh, I'm a two point Calvinist. Oh no, I'm a one point Calvinist. Oh well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a three and a half and three quarter Calvinist. No, you're not. You, I mean, you can't. Not really. If you look at the, if you look at Tulip, if you look at this. The total depravity, the unconditional election, the limited atonement, the irresistible grace, if you look at that, you really have to take that as a unit. You really do. You need to do the whole blooming thing. So I admire Presbyterians from, from that angle. 
they they really solidify it that way um, you really do there's none of this peeling off what you don't like it's this isn't a buffet um, I don't think uh, and I certainly don't think that uh, that it would withstand you know higher scrutiny uh, if you started peeling jazz off of it so this jazz is oh, I'm three and a half, or I'm two and a half, or I'm one, one point seven five six. I don't know. I don't think so. I think if you're going to take Calvinism, you need to take the whole plate. Now, that begs the question. People are saying, well, well, anyhow, how Calvinist are you? Well, like it's taught... I'm really not. Um, like it's taught today. There's many things in the Institutes that I think are really, really cool. They're really, really good. And I, I do believe in, uh, in many of the things that he touches on this. But like it's presented... And since you have to, since you really do need to take it as a whole, I'm gonna say mm, I'm not so so huge on how it's taught today. So so then somebody would say, well, okay, so you're such a smarty pants. What kind you know? What kind of uh, Calvinism you know? What kind of Calvinism? Are you? And I'm gonna say this. You know, I hadn't decided yet because I want to finish the entire institutes, and I want to I want to look at everything that Calvin had to say at least in that work. And I want to go from there. Now, again, Calvin was not perfect. He had a lot of tragedy in his life, too. I mean, his, his wife was died, and she was the love of his life. They had a kiddo, and the kiddo didn't last very long and then died. And so he was a lot of tragedy. He, the guy was a workaholic. Uh, he was French. By the way, he was French. And he got run out of France because of his reform thought processes. And uh, he, he was just, he was brilliant. I mean, he really was. But he also had issues. He saw, uh, according to report, two Catholics burned at the stake, and he was totally cool with that. Um, which I'm fairly certain Jesus wouldn't sign off on. Uh, so the thing is, I want to look at the Institutes, and I want to read it, and I want to, I want to take Calvin from Calvin. And uh, then I'll decide at that juncture how much of what I'm reading I really see going off into, um, into his thought processes. Uh, also, one thing I'm going to have to filter a little bit is that anyone who was in the Catholic Church at that point in time, in the Middle Ages, anywhere around the Middle Ages, even after the Middle Ages, inherited a massive dislike for anything Jude Jewish. Period. Now, not that's not actually... Uh, I'm not saying they hated Hebrew. I'm just saying that... Um, they really weren't into, you know, learning a whole lot about Jewish culture. Um, 
and that amazes me in some ways I mean today anyway how Protestants want to talk about Judaism when they don't even know it they've never studied it they've never read anything having to do with Judaism they they don't have every men's Talmud they don't have the Talmud they don't look at the Talmud they think the Talmud is you know really great for starting fires and uh, it just makes any it just doesn't you know how can you look at an entirely entirely Jewish document and not at least get into that somewhat and I'm not saying convert to Judaism that's not what I'm saying I'm saying getting into the culture but the reformers were wholly at some points not interested in that jazz um, and part of it had to do with the fact that that was just a general environment it was very very anti-semitic at that time so anyway um, so let me just say this whether you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Congregational, you know, whatever your flavor, um, when you're looking at Calvin, try to see him for who he is. Try to see him as a human, as a brilliant person, but try to look at what he's what he's looking at. And uh, try to take Calvin from Calvin. Read his stuff. Don't don't lean forever on on fifth generation extrapolations of what Calvin said. Look at what he said and see what see what you think. But anyway, um, with that in mind. Uh, I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.